Hello and welcome to FIS's Freight and Commodity Podcast. I'm Chris Hudson and it is Wednesday the 23rd of March. On this week's podcast, we get an update from the base metals market after what has been a rocky period for the enemy, alongside analysis from the dry freight, iron ore and carbon emissions markets. But first, on behalf of everyone at FIS, we would like to thank all those who supported us on our Ukraine Charity Day last Thursday. We raised thousands of pounds to be donated to humanitarian aid for the region. In another announcement, FIS will be holding a battery metals webinar on Tuesday the 29th with the Singapore Exchange and Fast Markets to discuss the development and outlook for this vital sector. We'll be looking at the upcoming launch of the SGX cleared contracts in lithium and cobalt and what this means for market development and discussing the kind of market outlook, recent market growth and how to utilise these important contracts in ESG investing. But in terms of markets, it has been another week of witnessing the destruction in Ukraine by Russian forces as they have shelled some towns out of existence. This has led many in commodity markets scrambling to secure supply and adding to the already high inflationary problems. There is, however, a glimmer of hope that negotiations between Ukraine and Russia can reach an agreement or that intervention by Israel or China can make Putin rethink this barbaric war. We have had several weeks now of volatile markets. So what has the last week been like? Well, week on week, this Tuesday the 15th of March versus Tuesday the 22nd of March. And on the dry freight indexes, we've seen a fall on the large ships on the Cape size. Cape size 5TC was 23,413, now 18,041 yesterday. Panamax's 4TC was 25,176 and has popped up slightly to 26,663 yesterday. Same on the Supermax's, small ships leading the rise here. Supermax 10TC, 31,913 and now 32,817. On the iron ore, another move up again after collapsing a little bit down last week. Uh, iron ore 62% was 13555, now 14350. Crude. After having relaxed a little bit and seemingly thought that things were going to be a little bit less volatile, a little less problem in terms of supply, it had dropped down to 101.11, Tuesday 15th of March. Now 114.72, closing last night on the FIS report. Sing.5, of course, has followed that trend. $835 now it will cost you 6.5% on the front month future if you care to buy that. A lot more expensive than it would have been a year ago, moving up or oh, just over 100 bucks. On the tankers, cooling on the uh, VLs, TD3C was 41.73, now 37.23. TC2, 181 last week, now 201, moving up on there. TC5, 201.79, and now 186.43. On the steels, it's continuing to rise up the kind of dark horse of commodities are being rising not one necessarily people have been talking about as much as things like oil but if you're looking at the northwest european steel it was 1376 and 25 bucks uh, that was the the index on the 15th of march and now a week later we have breached the 1400 mark uh, and the uas have continued their usual movement which is just a trajectory upwards uh, 77 euros 43 it was now closing yesterday 80 67 First of all this week, it's Ben Robbins from our base metal desk who covers a market that has not had the best last few weeks, to put it nicely. Uh, After a suspension of trading, after huge price spikes in metals, questions are being asked when normality will return, as well as the future of this market. So Ben, where are we now? Yeah, it's been an interesting uh, couple of weeks for the LME, certainly. Um, I think in in the past week or so, some order has been restored to the exchange. Um, since they took the decision on, on March the 8th to suspend uh, nickel trading um, after the prices of its three-month contract ran away from 
above $100,000 a tonne. Um, after initially spiking due to concerns on Russia's invasion of Ukraine, um, and then the prices really started to surge away when Singshan, who are China's biggest um, nickel producer, faced billions of dollars in losses, and their banks and brokers um, rushed to close out those short positions. Um, and then, like you said, uh, the LME have since decided to reopen trading, um, but this came with a cap on daily price movements at pre-specified levels. Um, so this was 5% last Wednesday on the open, 8% the following day on the Thursday, 12% on the Friday, um, and then finally 15% on the Monday. At that point, so Tuesday, which was yesterday, um, after being sort of effectively frozen out from any any trading um, because of these daily limits still being a bit too high, um, a price for buyers to be involved, um, we finally got a, a bit of a flurry of activity um, as the LME prices began to sort of align with the Shanghai Futures Exchange contracts. Um, and this was about $28,500 a tonne. Um, so yeah, finally, we're, we're sort of getting to a bit of normality. Um, as we approached the curb last night, there was about 15,000 lots, so that's equivalent to uh, 90,000 tonnes um, had traded hands. Um, and I think, yeah, no, it, it seems like we're getting to the point where um, there's a bit more of a logical price, um, a price which kind of under, under uh, represents the underlying physical market um, after that short squeeze. Um, and I guess that the nice thing is that we've got the Shanghai Exchange, uh, which can kind of provide a bit of reassurance or peace of mind to traders that we've, you know, we've entered a sort of period of um, normal price discovery as such. And a lot of questions are being asked about the handling of the situation at, at the LME. And what have you kind of heard about perspectives, opinions of whether this is something which is going to be now a line drawn under and we move forward? Or is this genuinely going to cause more problems going forward and there's more questions that need to be answered by LME? Yeah, look, I think it's a difficult one to say right now. Obviously, it's pretty fresh in the mind of of, uh, of people involved with the exchange. You know, I think if we look at the if we look at what happened in price, the way the three month price sort of rallied um, across a complex, actually not just on nickel, and then fell away, um, and also the spreads kind of blowing out from pretty significant backwardation into pretty significant contangles. Um, you know, I think that's suggestive that a lot of the the spec money, those sort of systematic and, and hedge funds, I think that's, um, you know, I think we've seen a, a few of them exit the positions. And obviously, that you know, there's no doubt there's going to be some fallout from, from that. But, you know, fingers crossed that over time, a uh, bit of confidence will, will kind of return to the industry. And I'm sure it will, you know, just take a, a bit of time to get there. Um, I think, you know, you've seen that the LME have worked to implement these daily limits. Um, and I think they've also stated that there's going to be a bit of uh, a bit more stricter guidance on OTC positioning um, and the sort of reporting of those. And I think so, you know, they're definitely putting um, sort of markers in place. Um, and I think this will hope to sort of um, entice the funds to kind of re-enter the market, maybe in the in the medium to the long term. Yeah, they've, ma they've made their point and hopefully things will be resolve going forward and they'll slowly come back again and but uh, most of this has been obviously around 
nickel price, which saw that incredible price movement up. But um, I don't know if we want to spend the last little bit talking about whether there was anything specific in some of the other metals that we've seen as alongside that amazing rally in, in the nickel. Yeah, definitely. I think it feels like anyone that you speak to on the LME, it's kind of been nickels. Nickels being <laughs> the be-all and end-all. And, you know, people that didn't have a, an interest in the exchange before are asking all these questions about nickel. But obviously, yeah, there's still there's still five other base metals which which have been um, kind of chuntering along in the background. Um, you know, and we've not got the, you know, this kind of small issue of a, a conflict in, in Russia and Ukraine going on as well, which is obviously, you know, still having significant impacts. Yeah, so even this week, Australia has banned, you know, with immediate effect, um, the exports of alumina and aluminium ores into Russia, um, you know, and kind of wider sanctions um, against Russia. Um, you know, these things in the background, you know, I think there's still good reason to be pretty bullish um, on copper, zinc, aluminium. Um, I guess maybe perhaps the one metal which seems a bit jaded, um, the technical, you know, doesn't really point to um, being as bullish would, would be on lead. Um, but yeah, I guess for, for the rest of the complex, it's kind of difficult to to make two kind of bold predictions, um, you know, with kind of stories developing out of Russia day on day and, you know, of course, sort of uh, potential Fed interest rate hikes as well. Um, so I think it all, you know, you chuck all that into the melting pot and uh, it's definitely going to be an, an interesting few weeks coming up. Exactly. Fingers crossed that things turn to more of a sense of normality quickly. Yeah, exactly. Fingers and toes. <laughs> Next, we have our favourite market, dry freight. Kerry, what have we seen week on week in this incredibly volatile market? Well, the capes finally started to turn over the past week and not in a, not in a good way, really. Um, in the middle of last week, the cape physical market still looked reasonably well supported by healthy iron ore demand, especially in the Pacific Basin, uh, with all the major miners active in the market. Shipments from Australia continued to be the main driver for those rates, um, while shipments from Brazil had been improving notably, um, although relatively few vessels were ballasting, preferring to stay in the Pacific, as we've mentioned before, in light of relatively high bunker costs. In terms of fixtures, the C5 iron ore route, which by midweek last week was seeing levels of in the range of $12.35 to $12.50 uh, per ton for end March and early April lake ends, had slipped back down, though, to the low 12s. And on Monday, a sharp drop, $11.60 was heard for Dampier to Qingdao with six to eight April loading dates. In the Atlantic, uh, Tuberata Qingdao, that's that key C3 iron ore route, saw rates around 30 30 bucks at the middle of last week, but slipped down to high 27s by Monday and continues to drift. The sentiment change in the back end of the week was triggered by China's battle with these COVID outbreaks, impacting perceived demand for raw materials within China. Um, I think that's combined as well with bunker prices cooling off a touch, which has taken some of the heat out of the Cape Voyage rates. Uh, Sing 380 and 0.5% fuel oil both fell over 50 bucks and were assessed at 589 and 826 respectively by Friday. Uh, for a while, the Cape paper held up, and it seemed almost to be a tale of two markets as paper rose against rumors of peace trucks in Ukraine that had driven up the paper on the smaller sizes and supporting the Capes as well. And that was also helped by, I think, market outlook for the second quarter that remained bullish, driven largely by expectations that China would ease monetary policy in order to hit uh, its GDP growth targets. Paper has largely moved sideways in the last few days, though, with April trading 29.875 this morning, according to FIS Live, and Q3 at 35.750.
Panamax has faced a correction last week, though, in spot prices. Uh, the paper remained firm on the nearby months later in the week. Uh, again, that paper being driven by those expectations of peace talks developing in the Ukraine conflict, perhaps misplaced expectations, we should say, unfortunately, but nonetheless, that, uh, that drove a lot of optimism. Uh, coal demand continued to show strength, uh, especially out in Asia, with Indonesian coal exports jumping 9% last week to yet another record high, 10.8 million tons, uh, according to IHS Market Commodities at Sea Service data. Moreover, increased activities were seen in those transatlantic routes for the grain shipments, uh, and the market expects Brazil to sort of jump into this and join the fray as the harvest season arrives upon us. Fixture-wise, though, rates came off across all routes on physical, with early lacans bearing the brunt. Uh, loadings from mid-March dates from East Coast South America. Redelivery Singapore-Japan came off from the 30K mark to 26750 and 23000 for early April dates. Uh, in the Pacific, Australia routes lost about 2K from the previous week. Round voyages fixing uh, by midweek around 30000 before slipping down to 28750 towards the end of last week. More talk in the market about increased tonnage demand, though, is really also helping to support that paper market. Um, and that's what kept the paper moving up through the end of last week, in addition to those rumors of Ukrainian peace talks. Um, we're seeing a lot of new trade patterns emerge, right? Including greatly increased Russian coal to Asia and in turn greatly increased exports of Asian coal to Europe, especially that thermal coal moving from Indonesia to the continent. We mentioned last week, Germany had restarted a lot of its power plants, uh, taking them out of mothballs, the coal powered power plants. So, you know, let's see where that brings us, but it's definitely helping to support tonnage rates. Uh, the index turned positive again yesterday on physical and paper has been well supported. Uh, April trading this morning at 29.925, according to FIS Live, and Q3 at 28.125. And before letting you go for this week, a, bit, a little bit of more kind of long-term perspective. I know it's something we've discussed mm. off the podcast yeah. is that obviously the conflict in Ukraine has huge ramifications for, you know, let's focus on two things first, um, grains yes. and, and iron ore. Yeah, and and I guess more of a long term perspective with respect to the dry freight market. Yeah, what kind of things are you thinking that because we've missed <laughs> that we've missed the planting season. We have so this has huge long term so, ramifications. So let me focus on let me take those separately. First okay. of all, grains, um, and 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 I want to qualify this right now by saying many of the best macro modelers in the world are looking at this and trying to model out what's about to happen, and nobody has a firm answer. Having said that, we have. Uh, appeared to miss the planting season now for the Ukrainian wheat harvest. It seems very unlikely that much, if any, uh, of the Ukrainian uh, grain fields will have been uh, will have been seeded uh, this spring. So, what are we looking at later in the year? Aside from the tremendous human cost that I think we're going to have to factor in of, of a global food shortage, um, you know, there is no way to replace that grain. Um, you know, Ukraine makes up something along the lines of 16% of all the world's grain harvest um, across all types of grain combined. On wheat, I believe it's even higher, closer to 20%. Um, you know, th there is not enough acreage that can be expanded right now um, in North America, in South America, and other parts of the world to make up for this. Compounding that, Russia is actually one of the largest producers of chemical fertilizers in the world, and that is now... Um, not looking like it's going to be exported. They have said they're no longer going to export fertilizers to Western countries. Um, <clears throat> I 
personally feel that that bodes very ill for the back end of this year. Um, if you're just taking this from a freight rate perspective, leaving aside all the the, the human costs this will entail, I think um, I think we need to be cautious here. We don't know what the full effects are going to be. It is true that Europe's surging coal demand should drive increased ton mileage for that particular mineral, but whether that can offset the the immense loss of grain shipments that we're we're going to see, I suspect at the end of 2022, I'm I'm not so sure, and I certainly think we need to be watching that. Um, now, iron ore, you said, I would actually say steel more than iron ore is probably the market affected. I think, I think Europe is heading into a period of prolonged, very, very high potential steel prices. Yeah, we've uh, seen that on the indexes we, now, we've 1400 seen it on the yesterday. And, and I think that could keep going up personally. Um, you know, I, I think that this is going to be a, a major shortage. You know, remember, this is compounded by the fact that all the Europeans have just doubled their defense budgets um, and are going to be buying a lot of shiny new tanks. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, whereas iron ore um, as a natural resource is probably incrementally replaceable in terms of what Ukraine used to export, I think Ukraine and Russia together made up something like 5% of the world's iron ore exports. That can be, I believe, replaced out of Brazil, Australia, you know, other regions. Um, the steel is going to be a lot harder to replace. Um, and so look for a period of... From a freight rate perspective, I don't think the iron ore should have much of an effect. If anything, it'll increase ton mileage slightly, that people have to get it from Brazil probably to China rather than from yep. Ukraine to China. Um, in, in terms of steel shipments, those have obviously disappeared on the smaller sizes out of the Black Sea and look for steel as a commodity to be very, very well supported um, in the next few months. You know, And this will bleed over everywhere. Look for it to be supported in the U.S. as well as in Europe um, on the back of this. There are huge questions over the future of energy, especially in European circles. With the proxy ban on Russian imports, this has had a huge ramifications for the energy sector and related industries. One of those related industries is, of course, the carbon emissions market. And that is keeping people like Kieran from our carbon desk here at FIS busy. Lots going on behind the scenes in this exciting market, isn't there? Yeah, thank you, Chris. Uh, as you say, yeah, there's some huge fundamental shifts happening behind the scenes. So in, in terms of trading, it has actually been a suspiciously quiet and, and thin trading conditions out there for the past week, but um, plenty happening behind the scenes. So the main one being the EU considering um, joining the US and the UK on banning Russian and oil gas imports. Um, news that in the long term should have an effect on um, EU emissions trading schemes is if they begin to consider, you know, restarting these domestic supplies of dirtier fossil fuels just to keep the lights on, really, um, you know, we should see an uptick of demand um, for EUA purchasing and, and, and so on. Um, another big uh, headline this week is obviously Gazprom's marketing and trading arm, which is based in the UK, but the, uh, the company's fate is in the balance um, and reports are suggesting that it's on the brink of collapse. You know, they're looking for a potential buyers to, to take over the company. Um, now, Gazprom, obviously a huge purchaser and trader of UK allowances, which is the EU equivalent and EUAs themselves. Um, so we should be seeing that filtering in into the market. Um, outside of that as well, you have the EU uh, carbon border adjustment mechanism or CBAM. Um, news on that was uh, announced last week. So this is just part of the whole EU's uh, Fit for 55 package and the whole net zero pledge for 2055. 
um, and part of his energy transition policy. Um, what's actually going on here is that the council now have agreed to actually launch the initiative. So it is going to supplement the EU emission trading scheme and eventually take over. Um, and the whole idea is to fight carbon leakage from goods that are made outside of the EU um, and that you know, when, when they're produced elsewhere, they don't then have to um, pay to pollute. And then when they bring them into the EU um, going forward, they will have to. Um, so it's kind of creating a level playing field for EU producers and non-EU producers. Um, but yeah, that's just the whole fundamental news going on behind the scenes, which um, is certainly keeping some people guessing um, and is arguably creating these conditions to prevent traders actually getting involved. But the main talking point, point this week um, has been the EU, EUA March 22 options expiry. Um, so that is happening today and, and today being the 23rd. Um, now, back in December, we saw the DEC 21 options influencing a huge price rally when their expiry um, was coming into play. Um, th the same can't really be said with these quarterly options, but there is certainly a clear bias towards the 80 euro and 90 euro marks. Um, and it's these 80 euro and 90 uh, euro strike calls that have the largest open interest. So 80 euros stands at 7.9 million tons, so that's 7,900 lots, and 90 euros is at 8 million tons, so that's um, 8,000 lots. Um, so one lot being 1,000 uh, kT, obviously. Now, because of what we just spoke about there, that should really shape into a, an interesting trading day uh, for EUAs, um, and we'll see if these 80 euros and 90 euro thresholds come into play. Um, so yeah, I guess to summarize the past week, it's been quiet trading, but there is plenty going on behind the scenes. Um, and I'm sure it's just a matter of times before things start filtering down into the market itself. And that begs the question, is this now more a return to normal kind of training? Because we had the huge shock with the start of the conflict. Is this now, as you were talking about, problems of people with high prices moving to dirtier fuels and therefore having to pay the extra on top for for doing that? Is this now just a return to what we had, where that nice chunking up of, of price continuing up, up, up without the, the, the shock of the conflict? Yeah, I, I, th I think we still haven't seen a return to fundamentals yet. So there's still these inverse correlations between EUAs of just wider energy commodities, so TTF gas and coal and what, whatnot. Um, you know, I, I said last week that EUAs should be correlated to these energy markets. They're not at the moment. There is that inverse correlation. Fundamentals haven't returned yet. Um, it's still very risk off, I think, at the moment. Um, you know, companies are probably still getting to grips with post-conflict um, volatility and um, whatnot. So, yeah, and yeah, the huge margins say. and all the other things. I think a lot of exactly, people are risk yeah. off, let alone people involved in the missions market. Exactly that. Yeah, yeah. And with all the EU and all that legislative change and problems, I know that we were talked multiple times about shipping emissions. What exactly that means? The actual final production document and as you said there fit for 55 loads of other things which are going to have a huge impact on people's business which they may not even want to think about and may never have actually thought about so far but these carbon markets and polluter pay schemes are going to have a huge impact on business they are indeed yeah unfortunately for, for, for most um you know the way that investor sentiment is going and consumer sentiment and um public policy making is going that unfortunately pollution is going to have to be factored into most people's and most companies manufacturing processes and just their bottom line um so yeah a huge paradigm shift and something to really uh get yourself clued up on at the moment um for future years to come 
Next, let's get some analysis from Hao Pei, our Shanghai-based analyst, on what's been happening in the iron ore markets the last week. Iron ore spiked on the support of reverse of China negotiation with U.S. to resolve the risks of uh, China equity listed in U.S., as well as the two countries started first round of talk and made constructive movement on the cooperation. And uh, however, market was resisted also by the pandemic spread longer than expected, since massive close down on northern and eastern cities in China, in particular in downstream market, which to a large extent restricted the consumption of、uh, raw materials. In European countries, new quota released from India and Iran were not great enough to fill out the gap. By、uh, the ban on Russia export, one side, steel mills and short raw materials in European countries are ever downstream. For example, German automaking started to halt due to shortage of multiple parts. If we look back to the iron ore physical market, metal bulletin sixty five minus plus sixty two difference. Fell from twenty-nine dollars to twenty-six level after witnessed a few constructive movements of Russia and Ukraine. Although the process is twists and turns, high-grade demand started to weaken as China ended production restriction and sharply dropping、um, steel margin. At the same time, Brazil export saw a significant increase to Asian countries. Seaborne market started to saw some bids on PBF and some mixed lakens with improving premiums. However, the buying interest were still way from expectations by sellers, in particular compared with Chinese yuan-based portside cargos. Thus, mainstream volume traded through Seaborne was very tiny. The physical steel margins in northern China slided from 500 yuan per ton to 100 yuan per ton during the first quarter of the year 2022, reached a historical low level if we count in the transportation cost rise and as well as environmental facility cost. Steel mills are currently reluctant to risk stocking iron ores, in particular during pandemic spread, and they'd rather start to maintain it if they are short of iron ores or coking coal. As a result, the cost-effective strategy for steel mills, as well as fast-decreasing portside inventory, support the demand of、uh, FMG SSF. The front spreads of、uh, SGX iron ore reached a low level in history. For example, the iron ore April-May 22 spread reached a negative 2.52 last week, which is a five-year low. If tracing the records of SGX next month versus the third-month contract spread, the current level at negative 0.6 to 0.7 lied in an extreme tail of a probability map with only 0.04% chances to see over the last three years, which is very rare. The rebound of the spreads could be expected at least to a positive level. That's it for this week in the freight and commodity markets. Thank you to all my guests. If you want to stay up to date with everything going on, then do sign up to our app FIS Live or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Join us again next week for more analysis and insight, and have a great end to your week.